raise the bar on health and live with maximum vitality. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Andrea is a Bali-based naturopath redefining health as living with maximum vitality. Tune in for practical life advice and start aligning with what your body wants. Our bodies are trying to talk to us. Let's listen. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening. Welcome. My name is Andrea. I'm the director of the detox department here at the Yoga Barn, and you're here for our Monday night lecture. Is that correct? Everyone's here for the Monday night lecture? Yeah. This good. isn't a cue to applaud. This is just a thing. You can applaud if you want. <laughs> I love it. Totally a joke. Okay, everyone, this is Sterling. He's going to be our special guest this evening. Come on, sit down. Extra special. Awesome. How many of you have been here before? Show of hands, you've been to the Monday Night Lectures. Cool. So lots of returners. Those of you who were here last week, uh, you know that I was trying to get him last week. We didn't, but he's here this week, so bravo. That's what the applause was for just a little bit early. So in this space, uh, we hold a free class so that people can get together in a community vibe. And that means that together we start to do something as a community. This is like a global community. We probably have at least 10 different countries represented in this room, which is the glory of being in Bali at this time and age. So welcome to all of you from all parts of the world. And the topic for tonight is a very special one. But before we get there, I'll introduce, as I always do, this this idea or the intention behind these talks and that is to start thinking critically about the concept of health because it's been really far 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 too long that we've disempowered ourselves that we've given our health away to doctors or other medical practitioners and really not taken responsibility for ourselves it's been far too many times that you've maybe or someone you know has come home from the doctor and someone says hey what did the doc say right as if you who's lived in your body for 10, 20, 30, 40, I don't know, 50 maybe, odd years, doesn't know anything about this vessel which your spirit is driving through life. But the thing is that you do know a lot more than you give yourself credit for. And it's only about waking up and starting to listen to the signals. And so that's the idea behind these sessions is to start the cranks moving in your head of critical thinking, asking these pertinent questions about our health. All right? So I, I like to start each lecture, and I'll invite Sterling to you after, uh, by exposing my biases. I find it really important that anyone giving any kind of public speech probably has some opinions, and I'm no exception to that, and so I choose to show you my cards every week right up front. And so my biggest bias of all is that everything that I do is rooted in the science of natural hygiene. And natural hygiene is the precursor to modern naturopathic medicine. I have a doctorate in naturopathy, and I also have a master's of science in something called ethnobotany, which is the study of the relationship between people and plants. And food plants, gastroethnobotany, is my specialty. So I deal with this stuff a lot. I work a lot with disease reversal. I've studied under Colin T. Campbell out of Cornell University, the author of the China study, the longest clinical nutrition study ever done. It was both in the lab as well as population-based, epidemiological. And this study showed that most of our maladies of today, the five most prevalent being heart disease, cancer, autoimmune diseases, obesity, and diabetes, that these are not only completely preventable, 
but also possible and reversible through diet and lifestyle change alone. And that should be news to most of you. And my last bias that I like to throw out there is that I have a large bias toward the large intestine, the colon. I'm a career colon hydrotherapist and the director of colonics here at the Yoga Barn. And uh, I like to talk about elimination a lot. And so I think that'll definitely be part of our talk tonight because tonight's special topic is the microbiome, the bacteria that literally make us who and what we are in every moment. Do you want to show your cards? I'm completely unbiased. Um, <laughs> I don't uh, believe that. <laughs> what are my biases? Uh, I believe that we're a synthesis of many different organisms rather than what we typically think of ourselves as separate human bodies. Um, we're, we're a spirit inside of a body, but then that body is made up of billions and billions of cells, and most of those by number are bacteria. So we are actually the minority, those things that we would call human cells are actually a minority by number, by a vast, vast minority. Uh, so we're outnumbered by these bacteria, bacteria cells, and uh, what that means is that a lot of times when we're trying to make changes, we, we make changes mentally and we try to make changes in the cells of our bodies. But if we don't actually have a communication with the thing that we are mostly, uh, which is the bacteria in the gut and throughout the body, through the brain and that type of thing, then we're missing actually most of what we are. So my bias is towards uh, our interconnectivity uh, with the life force of the planet and the fact that we really are uh, more something else than we are human. And that something else is shared by other living mammals, especially. Uh, there is some, you know, the, the, the reptiles have some of the similar things, and the invertebrates have some of the similar bacteria. But really, we share with the, the mammal world being uh, a conglomeration of different organisms. And uh, we'll get into more of that later. But um, Do you just want to introduce yourself? Sterling is a dear friend of mine. So tell a little bit about perhaps what brought you to where you are today, if you want to share a little bit about Key for Life. And... Um, well, I've been, ever since uh, I've been young, I've been curious about self-development. I didn't start out life as a like, super strong, like strapping young lad. I started out uh, um, with kind of some dif disadvantages, you might say, and I've built myself up, and every year I get stronger. So one of the things that has really pushed me is looking for those uh, those hacks that allow us to become more fully human. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's like looking back on the, the people who were jocks who I was like looking up to in, in high school. Now their, their bodies are broken down and mine gets better and better every year. Um, <clears throat> my studies, formal studies kind of started with seven years in a Shaolin Tai Chi school. It was a traditional Chinese school. Uh, and that got me on the path, but then I... Uh, my instructor was a bit of a misogynist, so um, I think that's the term, yeah, he's, he didn't have a lot of respect for women. So I had a, an amazing mother, so I started seeing this dichotomy of like, I don't really want to think like him, so I left the school. Uh, and then I went on a path to find, basically in my time in the martial arts school, I, I discovered a lot of uh, these hidden paths that are within all the other martial arts. There's always the, they call it the ox cart and the goat, goat cart. 
It's basically you have what everyone gets taught, and then you have a select esoteric uh, curriculum that they save for certain people. So when I left martial arts and I decided I wanted to stop focusing on Mars and focus on Venus a little bit more, I started studying all the uh, esoteric sexual systems in the world and, and did that for about seven years. And, uh, and then from there, it, uh, I had a mystical experience that involved Kundalini and, uh, and Hawaii, if any of you have ever been to Hawaii. Uh, and at that point, I realized that I needed to dedicate myself to the mother because everything that I was doing kind of was pointless if we didn't have a place for our children to continue this whole game that we call life. So, uh, so I married Mother Earth, and that kind of set me on the course towards learning all of this uh, that I'm in now, which is basically to synthesize all these things, and, and especially uh, understanding how our connection with the web of life, like what is our interface with the web of life that can help us to understand on the multiple levels, because what I learned in both martial arts and in the, in the sexual kung fu was that what, what happens in our brain is only part of it. There's what happens in our heart, but then as I've been learning further, the vagus nerve, uh, vagus nerve, vagus nerve. <laughs> I just don't like vagus because it sounds like it's like, you know, it's all neon light. Uh, vagus nerve, vagus nerve, uh, is, a, is where the, the, basically our instinctive movements come from. It's where our hormonal impetus comes from. So that is directly affected by bacteria in the gut. So if you have a gut imbalance, you, you aren't getting the same messages to your brain as if you had a gut that was imbalanced. Uh, so basically, where I am today is taking all of this that I've, that I've learned of the, the ancient systems and trying to combine it with scientific understanding, because I'm also a scientist, uh, meaning that I follow the scientific method, I believe in the scientific method in its purity, which is very rarely used these days. Uh, meaning that you observe life, and then you form a hypothesis, and then you look to prove that hypothesis. You don't just make something up when you're super inspired or high, and then agree with other people who agree with you. It's actually an observation, an hypothesis, an experimentation to show that this actually has real physical use for us. So that's the process that I'm in right now, is bringing this to a a really a scientific pragmatic level uh, that combines with the spirituality um, and the amazing, that amazing zone where bacteria are so small that they're kind of like right in that quantum field where they're, we change them a lot with our, with our interactions, let's put it that way. I won't go too deep into, the, into that right now, but that's, um, that's where I'm at right now. Okay, and do you want to say anything about uh, how this has led you to Key for Life or a little bit about what you've been doing, experimenting with on the microbiotic level? Sure. Uh, the key for life, which some of you may have had, is a... <laughs> the key for life is a, uh, is a product that uh, is made from coconut kefir, which is water kefir. Uh, how many people have had milk kefir in there? Okay. And have, how many have had the key for life? Okay, so a lot of you have been Water keeper is something that is, has a fascinating story to it. It is actually potentially a, even mentioned in the Bible. If you, if you uh, are familiar with the Bible and the story of the manna from heaven, uh, the Israelites were supposedly wandering around in the desert. And if you know uh, 
people of the desert, they don't really wander around in the desert. They know where they're going. Uh, they tend to actually really know where they're going. And, and there's, there's this concept that they wander around for 40 years to be lost. There's something going on there. You might have some brain fog. Right? So uh, what was it that they had to reestablish in that 40 years? Well, the story goes that they were about, at the end, they were about to start. And then uh, one morning, there was this appeared on the, the, the depends on the story that you look back on. But basically, the monarch from heaven that fell. Now, in the deserts where the Israelites were supposed to, where this is supposed to happen, I'm not saying whether this is real stories or uh, legends, but there are these cactuses which exude a little bee of, uh, it's like a mucosoidal, and it turns out to be a polysaccharide matrix, so it's made up of sugars. And it has bacteria in it in an amazing uh, matrix that, that supports each other. So, so it's these like, bacteria and fungus that are supporting each other. It's a living organism made up of bacteria. And they create a home for themselves. The Keflin bacteria create a home for themselves with this polysaccharide matrix, which is basically eating the sugars and forming these little beads. So if you take those and you put them in the milk, or you take them and put them in the sugar water, you get keeper. So it's, uh, many people feel that that legend is actually that they started getting their stomach bacteria set again. And that's why they were able to find their way out of the desert. So there could have been a metaphorical wandering around in the desert. Because if you've ever had like really bad uh, out-of-balance gut after antibiotics or something, you kind of feel like you're wandering around. So uh, the, the organism started really interesting to me, interesting. And I found it from a woman, the, the particular organism that I work with, which is like family by now, it's been living for a while. I got from a woman in Santa Rosa who had gotten it from Russia, which in Russia they're very experiments and uh, formerly the Soviet Union in Russia there. And uh, so I got this, I inherited uh, this strain from her, and then I took it to Costa Rica, I took it to Hawaii several times, fed coconuts from everywhere. It turns out that coconuts are just amazing for keeper. In fact, since you're not adding enough sugar, uh, it takes coconut water, which is not a really high sugar to begin with, and it eats the sugars in the coconut water and creates incredible enzymatic and probiotic. So it's really the perfect mating of biological technologies. So the Are you done? No, no, but I just said no. Go ahead. So the uh, uh, the organism has traveled with me. I, you know, I wouldn't say I smuggle it because it's not, you know, it's not like a. Uh, but basically, uh, I've carried it with me, and I've introduced it to various different strains. So if someone else has a, a kefir that seems very healthy, I'll take my, some of mine and some of theirs, and I'll put it together in a jar, and I'll uh, allow them to, to get together with some coconut water and have a party and see what comes out of it. I also uh, work with it by giving it small amounts, and I always do this separately from my main strain, because I, I'm studying what it does. Really, the, the beauty of the keeper is that, I'll back up a little bit here. The, the beauty of the keeper is that inside of our gut, we can't really study. When we eat something or drink something, we have to wait for a while before we see the results of it, right? Well, with the keeper, for instance, I gave it the aqua water that they, they don't use here, the, you know, the, uh, it's called aqua brand of water in the blue bottles. 
I gave it, uh, I gave it some of that water, and it wouldn't grow. Uh, so I did the palm sugar, which is how we propagate it, and I put it in the aqua, and it wouldn't grow. So evidently, there's antibacterial activity in that water. Now that could be due to uh, naturally bad stuff in the water, or it could be that they're actually adding something to keep it from being bacterial. Bacteria out of there. But either way, it's not something I want in my body killing off the bacteria. I gave it Cleo water, I mixed it, mixed it with Cleo water, the Cleo water works great, they love it. So it's like this, this way of testing things that we put into our body. And I've been doing that with uh, various uh, herbs and like, you know, ginseng, uh, everything from ginseng to some of the uh, South American psychotropics to see how it responds to that. Uh, because this is something that outside of our body we're able to witness what happens inside of our body but in a closed cycle. So uh, that, that experimentation is ongoing. We're gonna, we'll be getting microscopes and going deeper into this so that we actually can, can study and catalog the organisms that are present here versus other places. You're going to get different organisms in different places. You're going to get different airborne, uh, airborne bacteria and yeast and if it's something that's this is a really important point to realize. If you have a good, healthy kefir strain and something comes in that's bad for you, it's going to be bad for the kefir and the kefir is going to form antibodies to it. So in a way what you're talking about is being able to create an external immunity that you can then drink. And I, I don't have, this, this is a theory, I don't have scientific testing for this. I'm trying to figure out the experiment to do this with. but. My theory is that, for instance, because my keeper has been exposed to uh, Costa Rica, Hawaii, and these different places, that there is in that keeper an immune response that if you drink it here and go to Costa Rica, you're going to be less likely to get sick from things in Costa Rica. I can, I can point to how that makes sense scientifically, but I don't have a direct test for that hypothesis. So just to be clear, that's my hypothesis I'm working with right now based on observations and other studies. Uh, but it's an exciting field if you start realizing that, uh, you know, children with autism, they give them fecal implants at times, reestablish the gut bacteria, and all of a sudden their, their autism reverses. These, this, is real, this is real scientific uh, studies, and it's now actually a pretty common practice in some areas of the world that are less restrictive than the U.S. where I'm from. Uh, so what we have is we have the realization starting to build that the bacteria in our gut really determines our reality. It really helps to determine our reality. And uh, so that's, that's the journey that we're on right now is to deepen that study, to make it a little bit more, what was the word you used for it? Like a scientifically valid rather than something where we're just throwing out, you know, I'm a very big believer in beliefs when they serve people. But the thing is, is that you've got people who believe total opposite things, and that creates problems. So science has this beautiful way of getting rid of that. It moves beyond that. It goes through it, and it finds the actual things that affect all of us the same, like gravity. These, this, uh, this biome that we have internally is really like gravity. It's, it's, it affects us deeply. And, so, and it's, it's true for all of us. It's like we all share these same bacteria, but some of us have a little bit of you know, this one or that one different. And if we can start to catalog those bacteria, um, I have another story I can tell it later, but it's about an ear infection that I had, which uh, was uh, I, 
a huge realization for me that we also have all these bacteria on the outside of our body that are protecting us, supposed to be. Um, so uh, it's kind of like before we try to change the world, we've got to change the, the place where our gut instinct comes from. Because the gut instinct of the world, the gut instinct of the leaders are right now on a Fritos antibiotics Coca-Cola diet. Right? So their bacteria is crazy and it makes them crazy. So it's a nice way of like getting out of judgment of people like Trump. You know, he's just got a really f effed up biome. So microbiome. I'll quote you on that. Yeah, thank you. Okay. okay. Very good. So some of you um, might not be entirely familiar with the things that Sterling's talking about. So I want to take a step back and zoom out and just give you a check-in with what we're talking about. When we say the microbiome, we're talking about all different kinds of bacteria that make us who and what we are. We have more than three trillion cells in our human body and trillions of those are bacteria cells of all different kinds. Okay? So... This bacteria is stuff that you know as good and bad, right? The bad bacteria is the stuff that makes you maybe have diarrhea because your body's trying to get rid of it. The good bacteria, probiotics, this is the stuff that regulates almost every part of your body. So first and foremost, the immune system, your immunity, your strength. So Sterling talked about this a little bit when he was talking about the fact that the kefir culture itself makes its own immunity, which then when you take that in, you receive that immunity. So he was mentioning traveling to Costa Rica after drinking kefir life. You might be less able to get sick there. You won't have the tendency to get sick there. Is anyone traveling to Costa Rica soon? Yeah. Lucky if you are. Yeah. Hawaii. Okay. No? Oh, come on. Where are my travelers? So we have immunity as a big part of, of the probiotic load. You also have regulation of bowel function. For sure, uh, as a colon hydrotherapist and a natural hygienist, I tell everyone that you should know that your probiotic works because it sends you to the toilet within one hour of taking it. So anyone ever spend a lot of money on probiotic capsules? Test them out, right? So just like Sterling was saying, the scientific method is applicable to our own human body and our own experiment and our own laboratory that we make here and we become the scientist inside of it. And this is what I say all the time. Those of you who have been to my lectures before, you know I say, don't believe me. Nothing I say is true. Don't believe me. Verify me. Yeah. Test the stuff out. And so next time you have a probiotic, pay attention. Of course, give yourself a chance to go to the bathroom. Don't take the probiotic and then be really far away from the toilet and hold it in subconsciously, right? as I know you all tend to do sometimes. It's okay. I still love you. Right? But yes, indeed, probiotics are tremendous regulators of our intestinal tract and the movement therein. And I'll say, at this point, uh, we haven't made it clear yet, but most people on Earth today are deficient in good bacteria. And that's a statement that I can make, and you guys can try to verify me, I don't know, you might have to just believe me or test it out. But we know this by the lack of movement in their intestines. And this I have hard data on from both my clinical research in the colon hydrotherapy clinic as well as my epidemiological research as an anthropologist all around the world in several countries talking to people about their bowel movements. Right? And so those of you who have been to my lectures before, how often are we supposed to poop? There we go. I see some threes back there. Once per meal per day. That is three times a day for those of you eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
So that should be news for most of you. That's not something that you learned in school. Do I have proud three poopers? And once per meal per day? All right, this is the most I think we've ever had. Good. So the kefir guy, the detox intern, myself, the two people who just finished the <laughs> cleanse program. All right, and you awesome guys who are always welcome back. Very good. The rest of you, look up to these people. Right? Find out what they're doing. Right? Perhaps ask them a little bit about their delivery as a child. Were they born through a natural vaginal birth where you receive most of your good bacteria? Or were they born from a C-section birth, right, where that baby is devoid of its bacteria? Right? That big, big, big start to life there. Most immunity, most strength as a human being is decided at that moment right before delivery. So that's something that a lot of people are missing out on, especially in the last 20 years where C-section skyrocketed. Right? So anyway... Zooming back in to the role of probiotic and the regulation of our body, so far we have immunity, right? we have regulation of the digestive tract. Sterling talked a little bit about the vagal nerve influence with the large intestine specifically and the amount of probiotics there or not. Well, this matches up directly with a lot of neuroscience research today that's showing that good bacteria in your gut leads to happiness, more serotonin production. Deficiency of good bacteria in your gut leads to, guess what, depression, right? Heard that clinical diagnosis before? I find it useless. But anyway, it's been shown that microbes in the soil actually are antidepressant in nature. And the relationship there is that these are the microbes that we very much need, right? We're actually, believe it or not, meant to be eating soil. Because when we picked something from the earth before, we just ate it. We didn't wash it under the sink and sterilize it before eating when we were living more of a natural life. And so there's a whole class of organisms called soil-based organisms, SBOs. You can write that down and research it on your own. That we're almost completely missing from the world today, from the living environment of the earth, the mother, as Sterling referred to her. Right? And so we're starting to see this great parallel that's starting to draw the problem as it is. And so that's what I'll present to you now. Can everyone see this? Should I bring it out? So I've, I've drawn a little diagram for you up here where we first have the microbiome at the top. You see that? And the microbiome, it's split up between the earth body and our human body. All right? We can say that there's a parallel universe going on inside of us and outside of us at all times. And those of you who have studied more spiritual philosophy, you'll know that this is the same exact paradigm as we see in any spiritual philosophy. The macrocosm and the microcosm inside of it and the macrocosm inside of that and so on and so forth. And so these two things are always reflecting each other back and forth. When we come to this big old problem here, one of our first big issues with the world of today is the amount of sterilization that we have. The amount of sterility. And if you think about it, if someone gets sterilized or like if you get a dog sterilized, it's a kind of castration, it's a kind of dying of something, yeah? Dying of a life force. Well, there's this word antibiotic, which literally translated from Latin means against life. Yeah, a killing force. So who's ever had antibiotics, taken antibiotics, put your hand up nice and proud? That should be pretty much just about everyone. Has anyone not taken antibiotics? I want to talk to your mother. I like her already. Okay, so fantastic. That guy probably has a stunning microbiome. You should all go kiss him after class. <laughs> That's a side note. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm going to get him in trouble. Okay, so sterilization, super key to being a really big part of the problem. It's what's ended up in all of our, well, not all, but most of our bacteria having died in this massive deficiency of good bacteria that we have in our gut and inside our entire being today. All right? And this antibiotic exposure is not only pharmaceutical, mind you, it's also in every hand soap that you've ever used that had gel or coloring in it, right? In any kind of antibiotic spray that you've ever sprayed to sterilize a room or like, what is it, freezy, freebies, freebies, something like that? Yeah, Febreze, like an air sterilizer. If you've ever been on an airplane, right, they come through the aisles and spray, right? You're given no choice in that sealed container but to breathe the antibiotics. How horrible is that? Right? In Bali, we have all different kinds of chemicals sprayed in the air, from killing mosquitoes to chemicals produced from burning trash. Things like this have the same effect as antibiotic. They are killing forces. Antibiotic against life. All right? So, not to mention any antibiotics that are very overly present in any kind of animal product that you're taking in. If that's cow's milk or eggs or chicken meat or any other kind of meat, most commercial farming today, which is most meat right, and animal products, the animals in the room like this, you'd have maybe 200 cows. A cow is a really big animal. 200 is a big number. And this is a small room. Yeah. One on top of another, they would constantly be shot up with antibiotics to make sure that no disease would thrive in that environment, right? to keep their cows healthy. Right? Well, the thing is, those antibiotics, along with the hormones injected, along with the stress, the cortisol, the adrenaline running through the veins of the cow, that goes directly into the milk as well as into the meat. And so there's a lot that we don't think about today. Yeah? Antibiotics, almost everywhere. All right, next up, in talking about the problem, processing, pasteurization. Right? So Mr. Pasteur said about... Uh, ten years after he invented the mode of pasteurization, oh my God, what have I done? Similar to the guy who invented the atomic bomb. He said, wow, this is a really great way to kill things. Goodness me. And now it's standardized and everyone's using it and it's required. Right? This is one of the best ways to stop organic life force from forming. Processing would include as well any kind of processed foods that you're eating. So Sterling mentioned... Donald Trump's diet, I don't know if I can do a throwback there, where someone who's eating massive amounts of processed food, which the world sees as normal today, right? Anything in a package, who ate something in a package today? Oh, come on, you guys are lying. All right, you're, you're a special crowd. You're in Bali and you're at a health talk. I'll give you an exception, okay? But most people, most places in the world are eating things from packages today. And anything like that which has been processed, anything which has a shelf life to it, does not have very much organic life living in it anymore. Very low levels of nutrition, you know, vitamins and minerals. And this is definitely a part of the problem because it's adding to this one, the next one over here, acidity. Acidity. So you can come back another week and I'll give you a huge lecture on acidity and alkalinity. Potence hertz, pH, the measurement of any aqueous solution, how acidic or how basic alkaline it is. All right? And the premise of this is that in natural medicine, we see that disease can and only will exist in acidity. 
Disease cannot and will not ever exist in alkalinity. And so I'll take you back to high school chemistry. We have this scale from 0 to 14. 0 to 7 is what we call acidic. 7 to 14 is what we call basic. Do you remember lit litmus tests, little pH strips? You can test the pH of any solution. Well, for example, human blood, pH of 7.34. Right? It can't deviate from that even marginally or else you'll die. And so when we take in all of these acidic things, and acidic things would be things like coffee, alcohol, junk food, processed food, animal products, right? Hamburgers, french fries, should I go on? You get the point. All these things that you know inherently, intuitively, are, quote, bad for you. They're creating an acidic environment in your body. And guess what kind of environment the microbiome needs to thrive? An alkaline environment. For good bacteria to find their home and to proliferate and be abundant in your intestines, they need to have an alkaline environment. So the more we alkalize our diet, right, the more likely we are to be able to hold on to good bacterial colonies, which, mind you, again, are going to boost our immunity, regulate our digestive system, effectively make us smarter, if not just happier, right, and so on and so forth. And then lastly, part of the problem, is the monoculture. So this is seen definitely in the earth body. This is no problem. Have you ever seen a farm? Right? Even here in Bali, what do we have? Rice. Bali is one big monoculture. And mind you, those rice fields, they're beautiful. But before the late 60s and early 70s with the Green Revolution, when Indonesia was swept with Western agricultural policy, right, this was really a tropical fruit forest. And the rice fields looked really different. They were more of an ecosystem with eels and different fish in the water, the rice growing with papaya and banana trees all around and through. There were berries growing along the streams, right? There was much more than just rice. I know this because I did my master's thesis research here in Bali on this very topic. And so we find that the ecosphere of Bali has drastically shifted today and become this monoculture. And so, God forbid, a disease, a pest of some sort were to come in, right? and that disease, that pest, is going to be able to attack all of the white rice, that one strain that's planted all over Bali. Guess what happens? Bum, bum, bum! The Balinese rice apocalypse. That's definitely going to be the new horror film in this one. <laughs> okay. So we start to see that everything dies all at once. But when we take more of the solution, which we'll get to in a moment, I'll let Sterling do the solution. Yeah, you love that. His, his brand name is Solomon Solutions. And he's full of solutions. When we get to the solution, we'll see that actually variety, yeah, and diversity is what creates a nice hab uh, habitat, we'll say, for life, for this sharing. Like Sterling said, he, he would take his kefir culture and mix it with someone else's who is healthy. He would let them do their thing, right? I think, as he said. Yeah. That's diversity. That's variety. You only get richer through exposing yourself to foreign bacteria. You see that? And so the fact that the world of today is, is usually a big, big monoculture in terms of our diets, big, big monoculture in terms of our agriculture, and thus the soil that we're getting toward our body, right, and the kind of nutrients that end up in the food. Because mind you, your food is only as nutritious as the soil it grew in. The microbes in the top nine inches of topsoil are what fixes nutrients into the plants. You see that? The plants are just sucking them up. But if 
Your plants are growing in dead soil. Sure, your celery or your cucumber might look the same, but nutritionally it's not. And there's a lot of new research done on this today too, which is super exciting, but that's another lecture, so come back another week. All right, so are you, are you bummed out enough about the problem? It's a pretty dreary world that we live in, but don't worry, there's an answer. Dun, dun, dun. You want me to put it back over here? Hold it. So, uh, no, you can put it back there. I'll just, uh, what's it? The video stopped. Video stopped. Okay. Thanks. Just so you all know, um, we're making a, we're making this video because, um, we are starting, and this is kind of our big launch, uh, the microbiome think tank. Yeah, a think tank here in Bali based on these topics where we can not only do the scientific analysis, but also population-based study and further verification of a lot of the things that we're talking about tonight. So it's, it's exciting. You're part of uh, a new up-and-coming field of research that's only going to get furthered by the work that we're doing here. All right, so on to talking about the solution. See what you wrote here for a moment. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention is the uh, <clears throat> monoculture. Probiotics have gone monoculture too, which is kind of ironic. <clears throat> if you take a capsule, uh, and some people, there are places in town here that make uh, uh, coconut probiotic, but they put a capsule in it, so it's like a, um, it's a quick way to get a probiotic activated drink, right? But what you end up with is <clears throat> when you have a a pill form of a probiotic, these, these separate bacteria were grown in petri dishes, or you know, the, the, it's actually in flasks, but they were grown separately from each other. And so you get trillions or billions or whatever of these, and you get billions of these, and you combine them into a pill, you, you freeze dry them separately and combine them into a pill. And they have different methods of trying to retain the viability of these organisms through the freeze drying process. But generally what they do is you get a measure of their viability at the time of, of the freeze-dry or some places will do it where they test it later and they see what the real viability is. Either way, you're kind of getting a, a, a bunch of these and a bunch of these and you might get, if you get a really diverse strain, you might get like seven different organisms, but they've never really hung out together. They were, grew up in a laboratory and then they all come into your gut. Now, your gut doesn't recognize automatically, it's not like every good bacteria automatically is holding up a flag that says, I'm a good bacteria. It has to do with its behavior and its inner relationship with the other bacteria in the microbiome. So, for instance, the, the kefir that I just drank has uh, strep bacteria in it. Now, we, we avoid strep, right? Well, actually, strep is, uh, it has good forms and it has bad forms in the bacteria world as does candida. There are forms of candida that kind of fill the same life niches as candida albicon, but they're not as, as uh, they're not damaging. They actually just are uh, part of the digestive process. So when we, when we, first of all, if we try to wipe out all the candida in our system, we're gonna go out of balance and we're gonna be more susceptible to candida albicon. Uh, if we try to wipe out all the strep in our system, we're gonna be more, uh, susceptible to those strains. And the really interesting thing about bacteria, and this, this goes too deep into, this goes into the kind of the quantum layer of it, the, some of the, the cutting edge scientists are looking at bacteria 
and seeing them literally change what type of bacteria they are depending on conditions. And the, there, are, there are theorists in the, in the bacteria study field that are saying that there is only one, it's, it's only one organism, bacteria, there's bacteria. And every single strain that we call bacteria, different bacteria and we've named them all, is due to this one strain, this one thing that could have come from space or who knows where, that has modified itself into all these forms. Because now they're seeing quite clearly that given certain conditions, it will change to something that they formerly cataloged as something totally different. Right? And they've done the tests to make sure there wasn't any cross-contamination, and sure enough, these bacteria are evolving between their forms. So that kind of gives us into this thought of like, when it gets down to that really small, if any of you have ever, ever studied quantum mechanics, quantum physics at all, you realize that with, within that, that quantum world, particles and, and waves exist. You know, particle is kind of just a point on a wave that's picked out. It's like our, our attention on that. Well, the bacteria are extremely small. They're extremely able to uh, mutate very quickly. So what we could be looking at is simply one life force that has changed into all these forms in order to serve life, right? So when you're, when you're getting the probiotic tablets, it's still better than, than having nothing. If you've, if you've had antibiotics and you don't have access to keeper and some of these other fermented foods, it's better than nothing. But just remember, you're still monocropping when you're taking those capsules, right? Because it's also not living, is what he's saying. It's not currently living. It's been freeze-dried, yeah, versus something like kefir or any food-based form of probiotic, which is currently living. Yeah, and even if it's, it, when it goes in your stomach, it'll, it'll come to life again, because bacteria are hardy creatures. But the important thing to realize is that they're not, they're not all working together. They've never worked together. The, the bacteria in this dream have been together for tens of thousands of years as far as I know. This strain came from, this woman said she got it from like this lineage of people who like had, had cared for it for years. Now whether that's strictly true or not, I don't know that exactly because I wasn't there. So that's where my science, scientist says, well, my, my knowledge ends where my observation ends. But I do know that the, the strain, the relationship between these strains has existed for that long and longer. So they've already been getting along. So it's, I, I sometimes say it's like, imagine if like, just like you've got, you know, a thousand, uh, like, never mind. Uh, basically, <laughs> it's like, what if a thousand Australians all of a sudden showed up in uh, the all at once? You know, what would happen? It's like, uh, the, basically what you have is you've got like all these strains that come into the system and then your body is actually has an immune response to kill off some of them because there's too many of these things that it doesn't recognize. So it's the relationship between the bacteria that allows a, uh, your system to recognize it as an ally. They're already working together. They already have signaling between them because bacteria use, uh, use uh, chemical signaling to let each other know what's going on. They already have a communication channel. They're already friends. They've been hanging out. They're family. So when you drink it, you're drinking family. Whereas if you take probiotic tablets, your body goes, whoa, there's too many of those. Let's kill some of those off. Oh, okay, those are good guys. Right? So, uh, so it's really about the relationship. To summarize that. Um, solutions. The The first thing to, to realize when we're seeking a solution is that we don't know very much yet about the gut. 
we, the science is just starting. But you can look at cultures that have fermented foods for long, a long time, Russia being one of them. Uh, Russians have incredible diversity of fermented foods. And uh, coincidentally, they also have uh, high immunity in those groups that have that uh, traditionally take a lot of fermented foods. Uh, the Tibetans, uh, they basically have fermented yak milk. And one of the other, um, I have a yoga practice that I've done for 12 years that's based off of the five Tibetan rites. Has anyone done the, the five rites? Same time. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, might be part of, part of why you haven't had to take antibiotics as well. but. The, the Tibetans had, uh, it's, to some extent, it's like where yoga came from and uh, also where yogurt came from. Uh, because the, they would basically ferment yak milk and that was the mainstay of the diet. There were other things that they would have, but they would have fermented yak milk. So these people were known to live for way longer than humans are supposed to live in these days. So getting, uh, studying the historic cultures that have used fermentation is one part of it. Another part of it is really working with an organism, which is what we're starting to do now, is working with an organism and getting intimate with it, learning what it does, feeding it different feedstock, feeding it coconut, coconut palm sugar, uh, seeing what it does with cane juice, uh, working with coconuts, different coconuts, you know, Thai coconuts are much sweeter, here they're not quite as sweet. Uh, and basically what we're doing then is we start to see in this external laboratory, what's happening in our gut as well, right? Uh, diversity, this is a huge one. So diversity comes from challenges. Diversity in nature comes from challenges. And if we re remove all of our challenges by getting a kind of a sterile life, as, as Andy was talking about, the, the sterility that we've been taught. I mean, when I was growing up in the US, it was like, it was all about the antibacterial soaps, and it was like the idea of cleanliness was the white room where you could just like bleach everything and nothing was alive in it, right? Well, when you have nothing alive, anything that comes in can establish after that initial uh, killing force is removed. Whereas if you have diversity of organisms, it's very difficult for something to come in and be pathological to the diversity of that and, and get away with it because it, the, the bacteria that are there, they resist that, they form antibodies to it. So uh, really diversity in an organism is one of the things that you should look for. Diversity in anything will give you the most stability over challenges. And challenging the system is, is one of the ways to increase diversity. And in terms of the earth body, this is basic permaculture theory. So if any of you want to follow up on this, do research permaculture. Absolutely, yeah. And permaculture is, is like, it's the core of my passion. I mean, permaculture basically means creating culture that can be permanent. It's uh, Self-sustaining is what he means by permanent. Right. Not dominant, but self-sustaining. Right. Good point. Uh, so, and, and what we're... What we're looking at doing here is we're looking at creating it inside of us so that we actually can create it outside of us. Because if you can't, if you're, if you're all screwed up inside and you're trying to solve problems, it's like in the UN, like these people in the UN, they're not going to solve war. They're, they're, at, they're embattled with their own sexuality. They're embattled with their own internal bio, biome. How are they going to create peace? I have no, there's no hope for that because they're internally and with their own integrity, they, uh, they lack the foundation to do that. 
So it's really up to us to start from the center, then into our environment, affect things permaculturally, and, uh, and create uh, a world that has enough diversity so that we know when we're uh, full of shit, basically, because something's going to come in and show us that we're out of balance. Whereas if we sterilize everything, one thing comes in and knocks us all out, like the Irish potato famine, where you know they all were growing the same potato because it tasted so good. The potato, uh, it was a fungus, came in, wiped out the entire thing. I don't know if you guys know about that, but Ireland had a massive diet of people. And I'll make an aside to this to just compare it to your lives because who's ever caught the flu or the cold that was going around the office? You know, everyone had it, you caught it. All right, so that's reflecting something back to you about your internal environment. Because in natural medicine and specifically in nature cure philosophy, which was again the precursor to naturopathy, we see that it's not the organism outside of you that's causing the problem. It's the fact that your internal environment was ripe for that organism to invade, right? So that's like this sterile setting, easy to implant. If you have that multifarious diversity within you, and you have immunity by virtue of that, and your thriving bacterial cultures inside, no matter who has the cold and who coughs on you or who kisses you, you won't catch anything. And so your immunity is actually dictated by your insights rather than antibacterial gel. Right? That's only going to further add to the problem. All right? So next time you catch something, ask yourself, what have I done in the past two, three weeks? Have I taken care of myself? Right? How is my internal gut? Is that evidenced by how much I'm going to the bathroom or how my digestion is or how I feel or how happy or depressed I am? Ask yourself these questions because this is when you start the experiment in your own living laboratory. Yes, and to, to further that, I did, just recently uh, I saw a study which confirms some suspicions I had, uh, which was that bacteria... Okay, so. At some point, I, I was like, what happens when you get sick? Like, you have some, like, is it like five bacteria that, like, can make you sick? Like, what's the number of bacteria that actually makes you sick, right? Um, and I noticed that, like, people kind of have the assumption that they have to stay away from all the, the germs, and yet we don't really know where we're getting it from. Is it waterborne? Is it, is it airborne? So the study was that... Uh, this guy did an ingenious study, but basically he discovered that the bacteria is actually signaling each other. It is actually communicating. And what they do is that the bacteria, let's say a pathogen comes into your body, it doesn't go into pathological form because it's toxins from bacteria that make you sick. It's not the bacteria being in your body that makes you sick. It's toxins from the bacteria. But they're smart. They don't, collectively, they're smart. They don't release their toxins until there's enough of them. So this is kind of it's kind of wily when you start thinking about it. Is you've got this, 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 you take it in, you drink someone's water or whatever, and they had a cold. Well, you get some of that in your body, but they just hang out. They're not toxic at first. They start reproducing. If your immune system goes, no, you guys can't be here, get out of here, then they, you never get sick. But if your immune system is compromised, it doesn't recognize them, maybe it's out of balance, not enough diversity of, pro, of probiotics, uh, it allows them to go, and especially because they're not yet producing toxins. Then, at a point where they reach the point where they believe that they can overcome the immune system and the organism, they send out a signal and they all release the toxin at the same time. That's just like, I mean, I don't know how that affects you, but that blew my mind when I saw that because I was just like, 
wow, okay, that's why you could just be like, all of a sudden you just like get hammered by it. It's because it's not because they reproduced that fast, it's that they reproduced quickly and stealthily, and then all at once we're like, no, you know, scale the walls. So it's the Trojan horse thing that they're that they're operating on. And that can be scary. And I think what happened, I think it's important to realize what happened in our in our in our seeking to control everything, the, the overbearing masculine that science kind of represented. We wanted to control everything, and the only way to control everything is to get it finite, and so we made sterilization was a great way. It's like, let's kill everything off but this one thing, and we can study that. Well, first of all, that one thing, as we now know, the bacteria, isn't the same thing as it was when it had all its friends around. It's like if I wanted to study you, you know, and I put you alone in a room versus you with all your friends, totally different experiences, right? So the bacteria is going to be different depending on that. And the, the patriarchal kind of science uh, machine that happened uh, attempted to uh, quantify everything without recognizing the interrelations. And uh, ultimately what we're, what we're looking at now is a little, a little bit more of a feminine approach to science, which is how does everything interrelate first? And then we can do experiments of separating things out and studying them. But we've got to always remember that it is going to be affected by the relationships the most. And uh, it's understandable how this all happened because basically we were, science was a really cool tool and we kind of like, as we started getting technology, we just marched towards trying to control everything. Um, unfortunately, we controlled ourselves out of a lot of our vitality by, by eliminating the positive with the negative. So, if, if the bacteria is that smart that's negative, that's patho pathological, pathogenic, it, then think about how smart the bacteria is that is on our side. So how do we access that? This is where it starts getting into a really interesting where, what is happening when we meditate? Is it possible that all the bacteria in our body actually notices the changes in our, in our mood, in, in our heart rate, in our blood pressure, in our electrical vibration? Is it possible that those positive bacteria then say, okay, now's the time that I can like, start building the homes and building um, I've done some experiments with the kefir that are pretty interesting. Uh, a little bit harder to, to do with the science. I'm still figuring out how to do a scientific method style so that I could actually get peer-reviewed and all that. But so far, my experimentation has said that there is definitely a, uh, a feedback mechanism that's not just physical contact. It has to do with uh, the, the kefir feels us in some way or another. It makes sense. The bacteria in our body is doing it. The bad guys are doing it, so the good guys can do it too. So there's a whole area where all of you can experiment with your own bodies and start to see what, uh, you know, start to talk to your bacteria, see what they're saying. Might have something interesting to say. Beautiful. So in summary of the solution, uh, of course, probiotics, all right? So that's both pill-based and food form. And this is something that I encourage to most, if not all, of my clients. It's the basis for living in the sterile environment of today to continue feeding ourselves this good bacteria. Prebiotics, which we didn't go over, so I'll just briefly mention prebiotics. Guess what? Fruits and vegetables. If you've been to any of my other lectures or you've heard me speak before, that's about the extent of the dietary advice that I give. 
eat more, weigh more, whatever you think is more, five times that, fruits and vegetables. Base your diet in fruits and vegetables. Yeah? That will not only completely alkalize your system, providing the environment that the bacteria need to thrive, it'll also help with the whole pooping paradigm, the whole immunity paradigm, the whole happiness paradigm as well. Yeah? From there, diversity, making sure that not only the food that you eat is diverse, not only the bacterial cultures that you take in are diverse, but the surroundings that you provide yourself in your life are diverse, that they're non-sterile in essence. And then finally, life, fermentation, both inside of you and in the earth body. Yeah? And so what this means on an earth setting is for sure compost. Yeah? If you guys shop at a farmer's market, which I strongly encourage you to do, cut out the middleman, go up to the farmer, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Sally Jane. Tell me about your growing practices. And they will. Right? And after that you say, do you compost? This is the underlined Really important question, do you compost? That is going to tell you, yes or no, the amount of nutrition that you have in your food. All right? Because we're talking microbial environment in the soil. So it's not only about rebuilding us, but rebuilding the earth. And as we rebuild us and we poop, maybe we use composting toilets and we give back to the earth a little bit, the whole cycle of life starts to become a little more vital. And so thank you everyone so, so much. Um, we don't have too much time for questions, but does anyone have anything burning? Back on. When you do colon hydrotherapy, do you do repopulation through the colon of flushing? We don't do implants here, but we highly suggest that people always take in probiotics orally. Yeah. The other way, like as far as like enemas or other, like using either kefir or tablets no, we don't do implants here. Yeah, I'm a natural hygienist by trade, and, and so even putting water in is a bit much. But the thing is, so this, this gets back to a, a common criticism, um, unfounded criticism of colonics, which is asking about washing out the good bacteria in the colon when we have colon hydrotherapy because there's water coming in. Well, the thing is, you guys shower every day, right? The colon is literally internal skin just like external skin. So Sterling mentioned very briefly at the beginning that we have bacteria living not only in us, but on us. Those of you using antibiotic soap, using even just natural soap every single day, you're constantly providing a challenge to the bacteria living on you. Whereas if you were just to perhaps wash with water and make sure that you had a healthy bacterial environment inside, you would find that you don't have a lot of the body odors which indicate some kind of imbalance or toxicity that most people in the world have today. And so, you can use the yogurt and, key, and kefir as a skin uh, care as well, which will reestablish some of those things. So in terms of Bhagavan's question about washing out good bacteria from the large intestine, a lot of research is showing now that actually the home of most good bacteria birth is in the appendix, which is closed off to the colon, so we're not really touching the mother load. Secondarily, any kind of truly living good bacteria cultures in the large intestine will be so far up into the folds and so well rooted in there that one little wash of water isn't going to harm them. And moreover, again, think about your outside environment just as much as you would your inside. Yeah. All right, so one last question. Yes. Rice does not count as a vegetable. Good question. Yeah, fruits and vegetables, above-ground plants in their natural state, stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be cooked or processed. So yeah, this was a lecture, uh, an evening special topic about life, 
life, and my campaign, as many of you might know, is live for vitality, vitality meaning life, right? This aliveness that's so inherently inside of us. It's a, my great pleasure and honor to have Sterling join me tonight because his life mission is very similar to mine, and that is that as you get older, you're actually getting younger and more vital, and this is so, so possible and within your reach. And so I encourage all of you to keep experimenting with these things. You're always welcome back. Every Monday night is a different topic. You're welcome to request them as well. We would love to stay in touch with you guys. There are lots of ways that you can do that. Um, there's some key for life information up here if you want to learn more about the work that Sterling's doing. We also have a brand new display in the juice bar of a bunch of key for life, different flavored products, and as well as the coconut kefir. There's coconut yogurt that you can buy, and I, I prescribe this to a lot of my clients. You can buy it at either Bali Buddha or Down to Earth, the two health food stores in town. Highly recommended. You guys try it out, then you can try the whole going to the bathroom one hour after you have it. It's also delicious. If you want to hang out with me more, I'd love to see you. We do have a few remaining spots in our September Detox Retreat Week, which is coming up starting the 16th, so you can come read more about that. And uh, the last intake for a really long time for our cleanse program is tomorrow. And so if you're looking at boosting your immunity and starting on this path of vitality, you can come talk to me or Eva, our awesome detox intern back there, and take one of the flyers about the three-day foundation cleanse program. And then finally, I would love to stay in touch with you guys. And for those of you who had questions and perhaps didn't get a chance to ask them, you do have that space. And that's on a Facebook page that I post multiple times per day, new information about health, new research studies and reminders. And so you can come up here and just take a photo and then like me on the Facebook page. And that's the only place that I answer messages from the public. Um, so you can write me a message there if you'd like. And then last but not least, uh, I have a mailing list where I'm going to send out some information and we can send out some stuff about kefir and probiotics if you'd like. So you can come and put your email up here and um, we will get to you. And I've just finally finished uh, publishing my podcast series. So the first five podcasts, which are recordings of lectures like these, that's why we have mic and stuff, um, are accessible to you. So if you leave your email, I'll tell you how to get those. And really, you guys don't have to change anything. Remember that. You, as you are right now, are the perfect being because that's what's brought you here. And so from here, all you have to do is increase your awareness and love yourself a little bit more. All right, so thank you so much. Thank you to Sterling. And we'll see you guys soon. Thanks. Incredible people. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Remember, you don't have to change anything right away. Simply become more consciously aware. Tune in next time for more interpretations of our body signals. And don't forget to reprioritize your life around your health to live with maximum vitality.